This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Thursday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a two-game set against the Cincinnati Reds, splitting the series one game apiece. Red Sox are still currently fourth place in the American League East, 11 games back from the division-leading New York Yankees, but they are only three and a half games back from the final wild card. Quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us for what I think is officially the final time from Westwood, Massachusetts, soon to be Canton, Jason Kelly. How are you, Jason? I'm good. Yeah, officially the last time I will be in this location. I'll be in a big boy house next week. Finally got myself a big boy house. So I'll be there for next week's show and very excited about that. But uh, wish I could be more excited about how the Red Sox are doing. But, you know, was kind of hoping for a quick little two game sweep of this pathetic Reds team, but didn't quite get that, of course. Um, So it is what it is. I also hate two game series. Too. They're, they're just weird. They kind of throw off my whole schedule. Like there's no baseball tomorrow and you know, they won't be back till Friday. It's, I don't know. It's a little weird, but it is it weird because we just yeah. fired off two shows anyway, you know, with the Orioles and then totally legit are calling the cops and back at it again right away. Almost. Yep. I, so with the new house though, do you have like a man cave like planned out or, you know, for the, I do. Yeah. So I've got like three bedrooms to work with. So I've got a whole room that I've got, you know, squared away for, for podcasting. It's a nice little side room. So I'm going to put like a little mini bar in there, put my desk in there and we'll be good to go. So yeah, it'll be a lot better than, than this setup, which is just on a couch in my empty living room with noisy neighbors around me. So it'll be an upgrade for sure. Yeah. Moving sucks because, as everyone knows, I just did it from, you know, in December to come all the way down here to South Carolina. And it's not the furniture that gets you. It's the totes and full of everything, you know, that you didn't imagine you'd have to pack eventually. And and uh, I hated that. But yeah, I'm terrible at this. But I remembered this time. Where can they find you on Twitter, Jason? Yeah, you can find me at Color of the Iris on Twitter. You don't want to change it to Jason from Canton? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I've thought about it. I've thought about really? it. But no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. Well, yeah. you've had that one for so long. Yeah, That's how I am with my phone number. I've only ever had one fo- cell phone number my whole life since 2004. So yeah. anyway, believe it or not, we do have a third host patiently waiting from the mile-high city of Denver by way of quincy massachusetts andrew dwan how are you andrew what's going on quick two games set like jason says said throws me off completely didn't really remember we were potting tonight i was like wait nope two games here we go (laughs) do we know next year because they're gonna have a balanced schedule will it be more normal with the series 
Like, will, will it be a three-game set? <laughs> oh, okay. No idea. Yeah. yeah. They probably won't I release so. that until the fall, I'm assuming. But that'd be nice. I think we're going to... Yeah, and that, that's how it is now, at least for the teams we do play. We we still go to each other's park. But I hope that's uh, how it works. Um, all right, so... So what what's the best news of the day before we get into studs and duds? Is it the Red Sox winning or Matt Barnes going on the injured list? That's <laughs> a tough one, if you ask me. I I will still take the Red Sox winning uh-huh. because after what happened in Baltimore, if you had lost both of these games to Cincinnati, and look, I get what everyone's been saying. Oh, they've been playing better baseball lately. Their offense has been scoring runs. To like yesterday was the first time the Reds had won in Fenway Park since the 70s. That's, <laughs> really? that's embarrassing. Oh. Yeah. It, so, like, and I get it. Like, interleague play was not a big deal until, you know, the last decade or so. So that plays into it too. But yeah, after what happened in, you know, against Baltimore, to lose both games to the Cincinnati Reds, who I'm sorry, I don't care how well they've been playing, they're a horrible team. They're basically trotting out, with the exception of Joey Votto, they're trotting out a 4A lineup out there. To lose both games to that would be downright embarrassing. So the fact that they at least took one today and can maybe start to rebuild some momentum is a positive. Um, Matt Barnes going away is great, but that bullpen is shaky enough as it is that who cares at this point? You could put any of them on the IL, and it's still just as bad, so... I'll take the win today for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was a big win. The odds of getting a two-game set against Cincinnati and getting both Castillo and Green, I, I have, it's got to be like 100 to 1, right? <laughs> that it just lined up like that. So it, they got to Green today, but we saw why Luis Castillo should have been traded for an insane haul uh, last year by them, but they never did. Um just an amazing talent. Wouldn't his value be higher though at this trade deadline where he is pitching a little bit better? I don't I he's just he's got a pedigree and a history. I I don't know. I don't think it would differentiate that much, maybe a little bit now that you have the extra wild card, but when you had a guy with over 2 years of control at that point, that doesn't come around too often. Yeah, it's it's tough because Castillo's not a young guy. He's 20. I mean, he's not old, but he's 29. And he's 29 with a lot of injuries and mileage on that arm already. So he's not as valuable as of a piece as he may come off. Like, I, we haven't seen a ton of him because he's been out in Cincinnati. You know, and we don't see Cincinnati that much, but he's been injured so much and he's lost so many years off his career that yeah, he's pitching really low right now, but he also feels like a guy that if you trade for him and you give up major prospects, you're taking a big roll of the dice because at any moment it feels like he'd go right back on the IL. So his value is pretty good. Someone I think will trade for him this deadline, but I'm not, I'm not too keen on honing in on a guy like that. And fortunately, we don't really have uh, the need to. We've got guys coming. Whether how helpful they'll be will be uh, determined later. Uh, next show, we're going to be getting into some uh, prospects. Uh, is it is his first name pronounced Brian or or is it Brian? It is. Yeah, Brian. it is. It is Brian Bayo. Okay, yeah. I figure if they're getting close to being called up, I got to start pronouncing the name right. But. Um, tearing it up all the way through the ranks. So we're going to, we're going to talk some prospects and what roles they can, um, they can help us with coming up. Well, let me just say one last thing though, before, because we're going to start with studs anyway. Um, The frustrating thing to me about game one is the Reds have like the worst bullpen in MLB. Well, I'm exaggerating. It's like the third worst bullpen in MLB ranked number uh, 28 if you just extended the counts a little bit on Castillo to get to that bullpen, you you give yourself a, a better chance. And there were just some ugly at bats last night. And I, and I know Castillo at times was filthy, but 
I don't, he wasn't always over the plate, and I just think a, a better approach could have um, yielded a different result. So, uh, all right, so let's go ahead. Uh, studs and duds. Andrew, I got you in the leadoff spot this week, so go ahead. Who's your stud for the series? I'm going with everyone's favorite free agent signing of the offseason by the Red Sox, and that's Michael Waka. Uh, he continues to impress. Um, I think this is his second start off the IL. He was great yesterday. He uh, didn't deserve that one unearned run against him. Obviously, unearned doesn't matter. But he's now allowed two or fewer runs in seven out of his eight starts this season. Uh, his control has looked great. Uh, got a little lucky with whatever the hell was happening with Joey Votto yesterday <laughs> where he just tee shotted it right onto the uh, top of the wall twice. I don't think it's ever happened in major league history. Probably will never happen again, but he, he was dominant. He worked quick. He should have got out of that last inning. I don't know what the hell Raphael Devers was doing. That was arguably the worst throw he's ever had uh, when you consider how routine of a ground ball it was. But Michael Waka continues to impress me. Five and two-thirds, only three hits, struck out three, super efficient. Um, couldn't be happier with the way he's going right now. I don't think anyone expected um, him to, you know, remain uh, in the rotation with this much of a stronghold on his spot. Yeah, and, and I'll put my hand up. I was one of those guys. I did not think that Michael Waka would be holding out to a rotation spot for very long. Um, I was very down on the signing. Um, didn't like what he did last year. And I didn't like that Kyan Bloom gave him essentially a pay raise after having a horrible year, but he has panned out. He, he's, he's been really good and, you know, came back from the IL and has pretty much looked exactly the same, which is great to see. Um, had a lot of bad luck. And like you said, could have been a lot worse at that Joey Votto, those two hits. I've never seen anything like that. Um, he must hate Fenway Park now. <laughs> he, he must be leaving this going, I hope I never play Fenway Park again, this stupid ballpark that robbed me of two home runs. But uh, but Walker was good. He, he did exactly what he's been doing pretty much all year, just keeping runs off the board. He's not going to blow anybody away. He's not going to rack up a high strikeout count, but who cares? In the modern-day game, it's all about keeping runs off the board and keeping the ball in the ballpark, and that's what he did. And... You know, it's kind of a nice problem for the Red Sox to have that this is a guy that they brought on and we all looked at him saying, okay, when Sale and Paxton come back, you know, Waka, Hill, um, you know, Whitlock, Hauk, who's going to lose their spot in the rotation? Waka is making a very strong case for saying, it's not going to be me. I deserve to stay in this rotation. I can give you five, six innings of quality baseball. And if the bullpen behind me does their job, and if the offense does their job, then I can rack up 10 to 12 wins, maybe even more. So um, he's he's been really good. I've been really impressed. Again, I was against it to begin with, but he has absolutely proved me wrong. And as long as he keeps it going, I see no reason to remove him from the rotation and just keep giving him the starts every five games because he's not letting you down. That's for sure. With Joey Votto real quick. I tried so hard to find the video of the first one that bounced off the bullpen wall that just hit it perfectly, bounced back. And had I found a video within 20 minutes, I would have said, the caption would have said, you will never see this again in your lifetime. And then wait an hour and a half, happened again. I've had some doozies of tweets where I just botched them or, you know, uh, Minor grammatical error made it sound the complete opposite, but I can't believe he must have done something bad to somebody this week. Like, I'm not going to use the one I said on Twitter. I probably shouldn't have tweeted that, actually. Um, but, you know, he cut off some 90-year-old lady in traffic or something. Like, this, the baseball guards were making sure he didn't get those two home runs for a reason. And... um but yeah, as far as Waka goes, my biggest hissy fit of the offseason was his signing. 
because it was the first one. And I'm like, here we go. Here we go. 2021 all over again. We're going to get a bunch of underwhelming signings. And, and yeah. And I remember I said, I kept saying trash signing, trash signing. And I remember Andrew's reaction was, well, he's, he's not going to, he's probably not going to start. He's going to be long relief. He's going to be something else. And I'm just throwing a bunch of hissy fits because I, I didn't like it. And I'm like, they signed him because he had a good change up for six weeks. And that's what did it. Like, that's all you were hearing in all the reports. The last six weeks of the season, his change up was unbelievable. And um, he's, he's sustaining it. He is absolutely sustaining it. How many starts has he had now? Eight. Okay. So that's not really a small sample size anymore. The only thing that perplexes me about him, he's a relatively high walk guy. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. He's had a couple of games with three walks and um, walked, you know, two batters uh, four times and uh, not a lot of strikeouts. So, like, how is he doing it? It's, it's a lot of contact outs and stuff. And, I, I mean, I guess if you can sustain that, more power to him. Rich Hill, as we discussed on the last show with the other crew, he's the most vulnerable pitcher in the Red Sox rotation right now as far as losing a spot when you're getting a couple of guys back. And, um, and then, you know, there's the Garrett Whitlock debate that's never going to die. We can get into that shortly. Uh, but I just, I like what I see with Whitlock and whenever he's the scheduled starter, I'm not worried about a thing. I'm like, if we score runs, we're winning this game. We are absolutely winning this game. And he got tagged for, uh, five, uh, let's see. Yeah. Five earned runs in the, in the White Sox, uh, start and then two or less every time out. And he's been scoreless. Uh, Andrew might have covered this, but three scoreless starts uh, in the eight in, out of the eight. So um, just unbelievable. And is Andrew Heaney hurt? Because that was the other comparable signing. There's only two starts uh, for him, and he uh, hasn't given up a run, but only only ten and a third innings. So um, he must be hurt. But they both signed identical contracts with both teams hoping – to basically recreate, you know, the the next Robbie Ray was what it seemed like because he won a Cy Young with Toronto last year on an $8 million deal. So um, I don't think Waka will uh, be in the running, though. Not enough strikeouts for that, but... but Yeah, with, with Waka, it's interesting because the only... When he gets in trouble, it's basically just... It's base hits. Like, I've never really seen him get in trouble with a long ball. Um, you know, it, we've seen Evaldi run into that problem. We've seen Nick Pavetta, you know, early in the season when he's having his meltdowns, he ran into that problem where it was the long ball. Waka just kind of, he, he sometimes has that inning where he gives up like two base hits right away, you know, maybe a walk and he's got to work around it, but he's not giving up the long ball a ton and he, and he's not giving up a ton of extra base hits. So if that's the only reason he gets in trouble is they eventually, sit back on the changeup and they hit singles. I'm okay with that. That's if that's worst case scenario, if that's like when he melts down, that's not that bad. I'm going to jinx the hell out of it, but he's let up less home runs this season than uh Evaldi let up in, in that one, one start. In a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> Stole my take. I was just going to go for it. He's walk has only given up four home runs on the season. So just unbelievable. And uh, two of those were uh, against the Rays in, in one game. So, um, yeah, yeah, good stud. Jason, go ahead. Your stud for the series. I'm going to go with Tanner Houck. Um, again, short series, so, you know, kind of slim pickings when when you get down to this kind of thing. But Tanner Houck, once again, came out of the bullpen today and did his job. Two winnings of scoreless baseball. And it was only two innings, so, you know, take that for what it's worth. It's two innings against the Cincinnati Reds, who, as I said before, are a horrid lineup. Um, but, again, he's doing his job. And this is a guy that he's been the subject of controversy this season. Um, I think he's a guy who wants to be a starter, but he has really embraced 
this bullpen role, whether he wants it or not. He really has embraced it and has been really good since coming out of the bullpen. He's done three or four inning stretches of not giving up runs. Um, looks like more of a strikeout guy now. Looks a lot more confident out there. And look, I we all don't know what exactly the plan is, whether or not Whitlock is, you know, locked in as a starter or if they're just still kind of experimenting with it, if they're going to switch that up. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with the rotation when Sale and Paxton get healthy, but Tanner Houck is, you know, right now he's probably your most valuable bullpen arm. And that's, that's saying something. Cause I mean, we, we, we've gone back and forth on the bullpen at times. The bullpens looked pretty good. And I think in this recent stretch, it's looked horrific. And, you know, you got guys going on the IL, guys being optioned down to AAA, you know, Brazier getting sent down and called back up. Like, it's all over the place. Tanner Houck is a stabilizing force out of that bullpen. You know that if Whitlock or Hill or even Michael Walker, who we just talked about, if they can't go deep into a game, you know that Tanner Houck can come in and he'll at least give you three, maybe even four innings of quality baseball. And that's a very effective weapon to have. So as much as I've complained about Whitlock being taken out of that spot, Tanner Houck looks like he's about to take that over. Um, now, I'll preface, I'll, I'll say at the same time, I still want Garrett Whitlock back in the bullpen, at least for this year. I still am not bought in on him as a starter. But if Tanner Houck's going to take that role and he's going to keep pitching like this, fine. I'm all for it. You know, write it as long as you can. Andrew? Yeah, you know, since Tanner Houck bottomed out um, on May 5th and May 8th, where he let up uh, 10 runs between those two two appearances, which was only uh, a total of five innings, he's been really good. Yeah, he's only let up, I believe, one run since that point. And that was the very next ga- game he appeared in against Texas. This is what they need out of him. Um, I was actually a little annoyed when – Strom was first guy up in the bullpen today because I didn't think that was the right spot for him. Uh, having Tanner having not pitched in a couple days, I thought it was a great opportunity. I actually kind of wanted him to go the full three. It wouldn't have let any other guys come up against him for a second time. Even if they did, they had a you know they had the lead. I guess they didn't want to waste any more bullets uh, once they tacked on in the ninth or in the bottom of the eighth. But yeah, Tanner Halk, I've given him crap all year just because. You know, he kind of set off some events um, and forced some hands. But, yeah, if this is what we kind of expected, I, you know, last year I I was all about let Tanner Houck pitch the eighth and the ninth. I think uh, going into the season, I kind of wanted that as well, or going into the offseason, I wanted that as well. I thought he would have been a great multi-inning closer. Um, yeah, if he keeps leveraging this, maybe he turns into that and we have our answer at the back end of the bullpen. The one run he gave up uh, four appearances ago against the Rangers, that was in a three inning appearance. So, I mean, that's not terrible. Most starters are going to give up a run in the in the first three innings. So um, and then he hasn't given up a run since, like Andrew said, also, the walks haven't been too glaring in his first uh, five outings, which were all starts. In three out of those five, he had three walks. Uh, since then, he has had uh, two or less walks in, in every appearance since. So the walks no longer, knock on wood, I'm probably the one jinxing him now, Um not an issue. So that's awesome. The strikeouts are here and there. He did have six against the Mariners. That was with a different grip. Since then, he has said he, he uses that grip. Sometimes he uses his old one. It's all about his feel, whatever. But I like him in this role as well. And the the one thing I, I also like is that he's not throwing hissy fits about the fact that he's in the pen. You saw it last year with uh, Garrett Richards. Uh, I remember when Clay Buckholtz was struggling, that might've been the final year of his uh, tenure in Boston. 
he went to the bullpen, wasn't, uh, wasn't very gracious about it. Uh, but Hauk seems to be taking it in stride and just doing whatever he can do to help the team. And he's been, he's been phenomenal. So I, um, like what I'm seeing. So let's talk about Whitlock real quick though, since, you know, they're kind of tied together. Bloom, I didn't see all of the comments from Bloom today, but I know he did address Whitlock and said um, something to the effect of he's had growing pains. He's a young pitcher. That's to be expected. So that tells me that the plan for the foreseeable future is to keep him in the starting position, in the starting rotation. So the one concern I do have, he I don't have his logs up in front of me, but he's pitched pretty well his last uh, few times out. But the strikeouts way down. Zero strikeouts tonight in six innings. So what's going on? He he was like the, the swing and miss leader for the first month of the season. And they're just not there right now. Yeah, that's that's a concern. Uh, that's a concern for me as well. It's he, if you're not missing bats as a starting pitcher, boy, that's that's a hard way to live as a starting pitcher in, in Major League Baseball. And you know, Whitlock's two best pitches are his sinking fastball and and the change, right? So, you know, if he can't get guys to swing and miss at those, you know, I don't think his arsenal is all that diverse outside of that. Um, I think he does have other pitches, but I don't think they're fully developed. So I think it's hard. Like, you know, he, he's going to be seeing lineups at least a second time through, even with the day, even with the way that, you know, baseball has changed in the modern day where, you know, we don't want to see starting pitchers, you know, getting the lineup third time through. Okay. He still see it a second time through if he wants to be a starter of any sort of caliber. And I just think hitters are starting to catch on to it. And, I just, again, I, I think the Red Sox jumped the gun on this. I think they really jumped the gun putting him in the rotation, and I still don't understand why. You know, it, it seemed like a panic move at the time, um, you know, because the team was struggling, and I think the fans, some section of fans wanted it, and so I think they did it to appease the fans a little bit. And I know Bloom is is high on him. He's Bloom's guy. Look, Bloom took him in the Rule 5, and – it's one of his better moves. I'll give Bloom credit. It's it was a great move, but you also you took him out of what was his best role. His best role was coming in, you know, in the sixth, seventh inning and just closing the game down, being the hammer and and just closing it out. And you took him out of that position and forced him into the starting rotation, probably months, if not a year, way too early. So I Look, I hope he figures it out because, again, you got the guy for free, basically. So I hope they don't waste the asset, but I'm really starting to worry that this is going to be like a Jabba Chamberlain, Daniel Bard, you know, not necessarily a Papabon thing, but you name it. Just another guy that probably should have stayed a reliever at this point, but they force him to be a starter and they're going to screw him up and – I'm really starting to worry about that because he has not looked as effective and he hasn't looked as dangerous in his last couple of starts. And and I think hitters are starting to figure him out. I have a different take on that. Um, the lack of strikeouts tonight was odd. I will say that I'm not putting it in the concerning category yet. I think we're seeing a guy that's trying to figure out how to become a efficient starter. Uh, in his first start, we saw him come out of the gate, and he was just gunning it, gunning it, gunning it. He was getting swings and misses. But now he wants to go that six, seven innings. He wants to be a more efficient guy, pitch to contact, it seems, um, incorporate that sinker more, get the ground balls, which is what we saw tonight. I think he's growing as a starter. This is his first full year back starting off of TJ. He's always been a starter throughout his career. Um I don't think it's that big of a deal if he doesn't turn into a number two starter or if at the end of the year, they both sides are like, you know what? You know what? Maybe the bullpen is best because 
I think you can always go back to the bullpen, but I don't think you can go back to the bullpen, then back to a starter. That's when I think you run into some issues there when you got a guy that just can't figure out his role at that point. Arm gets a little messed up with. You can't, you don't want to just rev a guy up, ramp him down, then try to, you know, build his pitch count up again, especially off uh, a weird off season where we had the labor stoppage with the lockout. Um, and last year being the first time, you know, we had 162 again and help. They didn't even have, they couldn't even go to the team doctors this off season or work with the pitching coaches. So I'm not pulling him out of the rotation just yet. I hope he makes it through the season that way. I do assume that if sale and Paxton both come back, uh, and are moderately effective, we will start seeing guys skipped occasionally, um, cause I don't think they're just going to ride him into the ground. So I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not getting too, uh, too worked up with it yet. I, I hope he works out on the rotation cause I think that's where he's more valuable in the long run. As far as the short term, I, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. If he goes back to the bullpen, fine. If he stays in the rotation, also fine, but here's part of it. Here's part of it. You know, that Heim Bloom wants so bad to him for him to fall somewhere between the Cy Young, Blake Snell, and then the Tampa year in and year out, David Price, somewhere in there. He wants, he wants him to be the next great, you know, Bloom find. And, and I think Bloom's hopes are that high for him. So I think there's a lot of reluctance there to, to um, put him back in that reliever role. I will say this, a couple of things before we move on. Uh, two starts ago, lasted three innings, gave up 10 hits, five earned runs against Seattle. As much as how, uh, as, excuse me, as much as Whitlock at times looks a little uncomfortable on the mound, looks like he's kind of searching for it a little bit. He, he has bounced back pretty well uh, from that. So uh, didn't uh, give up an earned run tonight. Only gave up two earned runs over six innings against the Orioles. So so that that terrible start against Seattle, uh, you know, isn't uh, isn't weighing on him by uh, any appearances. So uh, so we'll we'll see what develops there. I'm also wondering do, do we do we think there's at least a 20% chance maybe Tanner Houck very quietly went to a Walgreens or CVS and got the shot. We're going to find out pretty quick because Toronto, well, we're at least three weeks out, I guess, but. I certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, I mean, look, again, like I said, he's turning into a really valuable bullpen piece. So if he wants to keep being valuable, I sure hope he did. Yeah. And he had a week off in between, like the last couple times he had pitched before the last two time, two days out. So you know, any sort of you know reaction he had, he we wouldn't have even known. Do we know if he has to have all three, so one and two plus the booster? Or I think he it, just has to have the two. The two, okay. I think I'm Canada curious. just requires a two. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just wonder, and just for the record in the audience, I'm not taking a, a, I'm not making a political statement here. Whether he gets it, he gets it. But um, I feel like if he was going to at all, he probably has. And then maybe there's a little bit of pressure as we get close to, um, you know, the postseason. If we're lucky, that that could be a fantasy. We are three and a half games out of the wild card, so maybe, maybe not. Have you seen the July schedule yet? I mentioned it last show. First two weeks of July, we have two series against the Yankees, two against the Rays. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this could be, uh, you know, better this, uh, better get your act together before then. Yeah, yikes! This could be like WWE buried alive. You know, calling the Undertaker. All right, uh, so my stud for the series. It was a toss up, but I just I refuse to go with JBJ. I just can't do it. I just can't do it because all this awesomeness that we're seeing out of him, especially at home, it's only temporary. 
But for the record, he did have, uh, I think he drove in four runs tonight. Yes, four. I thought he did last night, but apparently not. Um, oh, actually, no. Verdugo was the only one last night. Uh, all right. So the guy I am going with, I'm kind of going with him because I feel like at this point, he's just more of an unsung hero uh, in, in that Red Sox bullpen. Going with Tyler Danish. He's had five straight scoreless outings, has not walked anybody in 11 straight starts. His only two walks were in his uh, first two appearances. I should have said appearances a second ago, not starts. But um, he, he walked one person on April 20th against Toronto, one person again three days later in his next appearance against the Rays. Hasn't walked anybody since, and he's been getting punch outs. In uh, last night's game, he punched out three. Three punch outs. Uh, For comparison, in this whole game, too, against the Reds, there was only one strikeout all night. One strikeout. Tanner Houck got it. Whitlock, zero strikeouts. Schreiber, no strikeouts. So... So Danish is just just quietly putting together kind of a sneaky good season. And, you know, it's kind of a, a sneaky bloom find. I'm actually I don't even know where he came from. I think he was with the White Sox pretty recently. Let's pull those up right now because I'm sure very little of the audience knows. But he uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So he's only ever been with the White Sox. And um a 7.11 ERA in uh, 2018, so probably bounced back and forth from the minors and only uh, only had one game in 2017, one in 2016. Actually, hasn't even played in the majors before this season since 2018. So kind of, I mean, him and Schreiber, I guess, you, you put them on the same parallel, really as far as kind of coming out of nowhere and being very solid contributors. So I just want to give him his due. He's just been pitching very effectively. And his only uh, bad outing, I think, was against Houston, where he got tagged for for three runs. And Houston can make the best in the league look look bad. I think they have the best analytics uh, as far as hitting goes. But uh, Jason, thoughts on... Uh, Tyler Danish. Yeah, I, I've been uh, more impressed with him than I thought I would be. Again, another, I want to say journeyman, journeyman like he's 27. He, he's still kind of young. Uh, like you mentioned, been with the White Sox for pretty much his whole career. Uh, didn't really work out there. Um, had a couple of seasons where the ERA was really garish. Uh, 2018, his ERA was 7.11 um, and then was basically in the minors after that until he came here. So, but I, I like that he can go multiple innings. He can pitch two, three innings at a time and, and, you know, gives you sort of a, a longevity out of there. Look, he's, he's again, not going to blow anyone away. I put, again, I put him in the same category as Schreiber, just a guy that he's not going to blow you away. He's not going to become your new closer. Let's not go crazy about it, but you might as well ride the wave as long as you can. He's giving you quality innings and he's not, you know, he's not getting you in trouble. He's coming out of the bullpen and keeping runs off the board. He did have a couple of rough starts. Like you mentioned that one against Houston, but since, you know, since then he's been really good. And if any reliever at this point that the Red Sox can find to come in and give you scoreless innings over a long stretch, just take it, take it and run with it. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, Kai and Bloom and, and the Red Sox management did not deem the bullpen to be very important this year because they spent almost no money on it. They went out and got Strom and Deepman, and they're like, okay, there you go. We're done. Everyone good? That's that's your bullpen. We got two left-handers. You happy now? Matt Barnes will still be your closer, right? Oh, whoops. So that's kind of what you're dealing with right now. So if Tyler Danish can come out of the bullpen as a 27-year-old cast-off from Chicago and give you quality innings without giving up runs, just take it and run with it. Who knows how long it will last him and Schreiber are both kind of like 
teetering on that precipice of it'll either go all season or they'll both implode. But for now, just take it. He's doing his job. Yeah, I don't know how much there's more to say on it. Um, wouldn't go rushing out to go buy his jersey at the moment, but yeah, whatever he gives you, it's just gravy at this point. If he could just be that guy in a non-close game, most of the time that's you know eating some innings for you and keeping it close or doing whatever. I he's he's just another guy though that's just string together a nice little run here. Uh, I don't. I, I'd be surprised if he were on this team um, in July or past the All Star break. I don't know. I think he's one of the first guys out if they need a need a spot on the forty because I don't think anyone's claiming him. He's going back to Worcester. You're crapping all over my dude, Andrew. Um, You're crapping all over Jackie Bradley. <laughs> Give him his credit. Well, I begrudgingly admitted I might have to use him as a stud before I, you know, gave the nod to Danish. But um, just real quick, I mean, Danish has a nine point two strikeout per nine this year. Pretty good. That's probably pretty high for the the Red Sox bullpen. I do have some minor league numbers up here. I'm I'm not good with. Uh, any of the teams he's been on because they only give the initials of them. But 2021, he was uh, in double A and triple A and um, in double A had a 0.90 ERA, just three outings and then a 4.33 ERA over uh, 29 outings in triple A. Uh, and then 2019, he was just a mess. He had six appearances uh, in AAA. Um, of those six appearances, four were actually starts, but he had a 21.26 ERA. So even in the minors, he, he's been struggling uh, here and there, but uh, seems to have found it with the big league club. And if Andrew is wrong and he's pitching effectively into the fall, Maybe, maybe the Red Sox pitching program is, has maybe that Dave Bush magic I was expecting to find last season is kind of taking shape. And Jason, you point out that the Red Sox don't spend any money on their bullpen. I think that's what we're in for in the high bloom era. I don't know if I hate it. I mean, if they can identify these guys, if they can identify a Matt Strom type guy next year and maybe refurbish someone you know through the minor league system like we're seeing with danish schreiber this year i'm fine with that i'm fine with that as long as they're spending money on starters and they're spending money in the lineup i'm good with their current bullpen mentality well just to tease the next show we'll do we'll get more into that but this is like the first time since Christ, I can't even remember that they'll actually have a, you know, a plethora of power arms coming up that will be able to contribute in the bullpen in the near future. So, yeah, the allocations can go elsewhere if uh, just a few of these guys work out. Yeah, I mean, th- this was the Tampa model for years and years, um, not just Bloom, but an- anyone has taken over since, you know, they would just bring over young guys who could throw hard, had good, good mix of pitches. And, you know, they would throw multiple innings out of their bullpen. And that's what made Tampa so dangerous is that everyone would go, well, their lineup's not that great. Their rotation's good, but we don't know about these guys in the bullpen. We've never heard of them. And all of a sudden you got guys throwing 98, throwing good breaking balls. And, you know, they, they would throw teams off for a balance. So if, if that's the way they're constructing the bullpen, you have to be kind of okay with that model, which is, they're going to burn out pitches or pitchers. Like they're going to bring these guys up. They're going to max them out and then that's it. But if it works and it helps you get to a, get to the playoffs, get maybe get to a world series, then I'm okay with it. Yeah. Spend the money elsewhere. And you know, why not go through the bullpen like that? That I think that's what we're in for. But like Andrew did say, there will be some developmental guys with, you know, guys that we've drafted. I I won't mention any names either because that's the next show. Um, We've already blown it. I thought this could be a quicker show. We're 43 minutes in still talking about studs. So let's just quickly go through the duds. We don't have to spend too much time here. Andrew, who do you have dud for the series? 
JD Martinez wasn't close. Um, he also wasn't close on any of the pitches he saw, uh, especially in the bottom of the ninth. Yesterday, second and third, no outs, and he fails to get the guy in. Um, they needed that. That killed them. Uh, then they had a – the next guy came up. Jason, I'll let you talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, J.D. Martinez, look, we've we've praised him for most of the season because he's been one of your most consistent performers, but there's always been that caveat of can you do it in clutch moments – because it feels like J.D. Martinez always gets his extra base hits or whatever when nobody's on base. And, you know, he kind of collects his two or three hits a game and um, doesn't have much impact. Sometimes he does, but, yeah, as Andrew mentioned, like the, these last two games, just he's looked overmatched by uh, Luis Castillo and Hunter Green. And just, um, like, can you get a clutch hit? For once, again, you, know, you have runners on base. You're in a close game. Can you just drive one of them in, do something? I mean, we kill Bobby Dahlbeck and guys like that for not being able to do it. We should be able to kill Jane Martinez for doing it as, for doing that as well. So not good enough from him, for sure. He flirted with uh, two golden sombreros, which are would be a four-strikeout game um, in both Cincinnati games he struck out three times so almost got there I think Trevor Story is the only one to get one so far this year but um yeah just not a good one I mean he's due I I didn't think it was gonna be that ugly but I mean he was due for a a couple of bad ones and um his his um batting average plummeted from 380 to 360 so not not too bad but um go ahead jason dud for the series yeah my dud is xander bogarts um seems a little harsh he was only you know two for six in this series he did score twice today had a much better game today but man that that game yesterday i mean so many bad throws he went over four he had terrible at bats against luis castillo too i mean castillo was just completely toying with him I mean, Castillo basically watched Xander come up to play and go, okay, I'm just going to throw whatever I want, and I know that you're going to chase it, and you have no chance. It, it was kind of embarrassing. Um, and, boy, this, this was a good series for the Xander Bogart sucks at defense crew because he had a couple of bad throws, and Franchi was able to pick one of them, and then the second one he couldn't pick. And that second one pretty much cost you the game. So for all the people that want to say, oh, Xander's not that bad defensively. And look, I'm kind of part of that crew. I Again, I've said it from the beginning of the season. I want Xander Bogarts with the Red Sox long-term. I want him signed here. Okay, I'm not worried about the defense. I think it's overblown for the most part. But boy, you watch games like that yesterday and you go, oh, geez, maybe it's not overblown. That was a really bad throw. So not good. Uh, not a good two-game series for Xander Bogarts. Um, I just hope he's not losing focus because we've talked about this before. With the contract situation and with this team kind of floundering, at what point does Xander just check out and go, yeah, F this place, I'm done. I hope that that isn't coming, but not looking good. And he also, like JD, failed to get the runner in from third with less than two outs in the bottom of the ninth. He... It lifts all you had to do is lift a fly ball to deep right. Both uh, base runners move up. Who knows? Maybe that same error that happened with uh, on that Verdugo grounder, you got a tie game. So you had your number three and four hitter just crap the bed at the worst possible time. I mean, his defense has been good this year but it caught up with him i thought the the trevor story to shortstop would be a a constant battle all year kind of like the whitlock back to the bullpen maybe not quite as intense but i figured it, it would you know there would be more chirping about that there really hasn't and uh you know it wouldn't have happened anyway but i i just figured there would be more as far as his offense, though, it just seems like he's kind of cooled off a little bit. And maybe that's just because his first first month was so good that, you know, it's all, it's to be expected. But 
actually, as I'm looking through his, um, as I'm looking through his logs here, he's had several uh, extra base hits in recent games. So, so that's just me. But his cool off did kind of coincide with Trevor Story's surge there. Suddenly Xander got a little quiet. Story was um, doing a lot of damage, but. Not a great series for Xander, but he'll probably be a stud several times over in the coming weeks. So uh, we'll just let it be. Uh, Franchi Cordero, my dud for the series. Another guy who was just awful. Had three strikeouts in game two. Just one in game one, but was 0 for 7 on the series. Didn't look great at first base. There were at least one of those bad throws would have been picked probably by Dahlbeck, who's not even a an above average defender uh, at first. And um, so is what it is. My confidence in this team making the playoffs, though, kind of does ride with Franchi because if he's productive, you put him at first, you put him in right field. He can he can solve one of your glaring problems. I don't know that what we've seen from him over the last month is sustainable or not, but I want to see it. I, I like him. I like his presence. He's got a very positive vibe about him. He's a very likable guy. So um, hopefully he gets it together, and uh, both defensively and offensively. Uh, Andrew, thoughts on Franchi? Yeah, he was. He had a tough series. These are not the best two pitchers for him to face. Castillo was on one yesterday, and then, you know, the velocity of uh, Hunter Green definitely wasn't great for him. Although he actually had a pretty decent at bat in the first inning, but yeah, he looked a little overmatched. Uh, not totally unexpected, uh, and you know, we just gotta take the good with the bad. And I, I have confidence that he'll bounce back. Yeah, I, I'm i still willing to ride with Franchi at, at first base for the time being because Bobby Dahlbeck is just such an offensive liability. It's not even funny. Um, but this is now turning into another indictment on Kyan Bloom. Sorry, but that Andrew Benintendi trade is looking worse and worse by the day. Josh Winkowski makes his debut against Baltimore, gets his lips ripped off, looks terrible. And Franchi Cordero, who was another centerpiece of that deal, is now playing first base for you, doesn't look good at first base, and is an inconsistent hitter. And was basically like, we, we wanted to get rid of him last year. We, we wanted him off the roster last year. He was so bad. He's kind of played his way back into our hearts a little bit, but he's too inconsistent. And it's just, I, I just, I'm still stunned to this day. The, the negligence that's being paid towards the first base position by the Boston Red Sox. I mean, first base is, is a key position. And it's like they, they bought in on two months of Bobby Dahlbeck looking decent and just rode with him. Meanwhile, the Yankees, you know, brought back Rizzo. It feels like every other team around you upgraded at first base. And the Red Sox are now going with Franchi Cordero because Bobby Dahlbeck is useless except defensively. And now even the Franchi Cordero Franchi Cordero magic might run out. So it's just a joke. Like you can't run your team like that. You can't have first base just be a black hole. It's not good enough. So um, again, I'm willing to ride with Franchi a little bit more. I hope that he can pick it back up. But at the end of the day, I I have very little faith in the way that's that's going at first base. Here's a tiny sample size. Tiny sample size, but a surprising Franchi stat. He's hitting 375 against lefties. Only eight at-bats. One of those at-bats is a home run. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, I hope he turns it around. One more hypothetical because I feel like it. Could Heim Bloom? It, it would be complicated because you'd have to. There would have to be money being eaten by the Reds and all that. But could Heim Bloom make a call about Joey Votto? He's not having a great year, and maybe that's to our advantage. 
But look at it this way. The Reds are done for the rest of his career. They will not be competitive. Their rebuild is going to take too long for the remainder of Votto's career. So could there be some motivation on the part of Votto to go to a team to maybe win an elusive ring? And then could Bloom maybe seize an opportunity here to get a guy on the cheap? And I don't know. I just, just a thought, just a thought. So two things about that. One, I would wonder if, I would wonder first if Joey Votto has a no trade. Oh, I'm sure. 10-5 um, at the middle. Yeah, 10-5 yeah. rates, I'm sure he does. So would he even want to come to Boston? Does he want to retire as a Cincinnati Red? Who knows? Because I think Votto's got like this season left and that's it. I think he's done. Um, the other thing too is, would I take Joey Votto? Sure. Do I want one of their pitching prospects or one of their young arms attached to him? Yeah, I sure do. I don't just want Joey Votto. So like, for example, I'm not doing like a Joey Votto for a, you know, two guys in double A kind of trade. I'm doing like a Joey Votto and, you know, Luis Castillo for Jeter Downs and I don't know, you name it, someone else on the big league roster, maybe like a Christian Arroyo or something like that. That's the kind of trade I would do. I don't think Joey Votto has the same kind of value he had five years ago. I think that, you know, I, yeah, I, I think the league knows what he is now. So Again, would I do something like that if they attach a pitcher to it? Sure, absolutely. Works out for both teams because, you know, again, I think Votto's done after this year. Castillo, his contract's up after this year, so it would make sense. Do I think the Reds would do that? Probably not. Do I think Joey Votto would do that? I don't think so. I For some reason, I think Votto just wants to finish his career there and be done with it. So it's it's an interesting option to explore, but I just don't think it would work out. Andrew's yeah, going to be a hard now. <laughs> I would need now. a top five prospect coming back. I would need like Nick Lodolo or someone, Matt McLean, one of those two coming back. Cause he's, I mean, we're not even halfway through the season right now. So we'd have about 16, $17 million left on this year alone. Then another 25 next year. So we're looking at $42 million of Joey Votto and we know the Reds wouldn't need any of it I mean that's why they traded Jesse Winker uh for literally nothing um yeah the no if if Votto goes anywhere and they manage to I don't know skate the CBA and he gives money back like A-Rod was going to do 20 years ago it would be to Toronto uh next year or something and his career in Canada um other than that I don't see Joey Votto ever leaving Okay, my my extreme hypothetical, apparently, um, I figure the Red Sox only pick up maybe seven or eight million of the 25. And then so I'm not really I wasn't really thinking prospects attached. If you're taking on the full money, it makes probably way less sense, no matter what way we try to structure it at this point. But if we were taking on the full 25 next year, yeah, okay. We want to we want to prospect with him, but it it was just a thought. He's um he's thirty eight years old. This is his first real year of decline, and who knows? I mean, he could he could still pick it up in the second half and and be uh, pretty productive. But he's got I mean pretty much the same numbers as Bobby Dahlbeck. Yeah, he's having a he's having a rough <laughs> year. But if anyone's going to turn around, which one is it? Bobby Dahlbeck. Oh, I think Joey Votto is Joey Votto is just spent. He's been in the league for what twenty years. Yeah, the other thing too is you'd have to fit in. You'd have to hit in Fenway Park. I mean, hitting in Cincinnati is different because Cincinnati is a launching pad. You have to come to Fenway Park, and we already saw he he might come up short there. And he's a lefty too, so I guess that complicates it even more. But um, his actually, he's got a weird split here. Um, 179 batting average, but a 326 OBP. So um, he's drawing walks, but I I think he'll come up. I mean, at this point, if he gets it up to 230, 240, that probably means he probably hit 
300 for a stretch um, to get it up that high after two terrible months. But he's one guy. I said in the last show, Justin Verlander's my favorite non-Red Sox player of all time. The one guy I wish I could have had. If if there was a position player that I would pick, it probably would have been Votto. But just a thought. All right, let's uh, – admittedly, I haven't even taken a peek at it yet. We got a four-game set against the uh, Oakland A's coming up. That starts on Friday. Going with my normal site, which has kind of been a dud all year. The uh, Red Sox have all the pitching matchups on their uh... – on their site if you want to use that okay yeah they do actually um all right i thought it was a four game set so my bad three game set uh the four game set is actually the next series after that against the angels which sucks because they're the better of the three teams but uh game one nathan avaldi versus james caprillion who i think this will impress you andrew he was in the sunny gray to new york deal so he was one of the guys I think they got out of the Yankee system. Um, but uh, Caprillion off to a bad start. I think he might have started the year injured as well. 593 ERA. I think this is going to be a quick, you know, Evaldi. It should be an Evaldi <laughs> win, but how do you guys yeah, feel? I, oh, yeah, I, I absolutely take the Red Sox in that one. Caprillion's had a bad year. Um Nathan Navaldi is still the best pitcher on your staff. Again, this is a team I, I, I'm hesitant, but I, I said it because I said it about Baltimore and I would say it about Cincinnati, but I'm going to say it again against Oakland. This is a bad team. This is a bad team that is going nowhere. It does not have a good lineup. They do not have a good rotation. They do not have a good bullpen. The Red Sox should not have any trouble with this team. Caprillion is not having a good year. Ivaldi's your ace he's been pitching better lately this should be a red sox win and Ivaldi's had home run trouble but it's in oakland so that should help he might get a couple of deep flyouts in oakland so i'll take the red sox in this one the red sox aren't flying in day of that's huge um they got a day to you know recover on the west coast the A's are three and seven in their last ten. They will be three and eleven, three and eight in their last eleven. Uh, this should be an easy one. Caprillion, uh, two starts ago against the Mariners, gave up five earned over five innings, and then wasn't much better against the Rangers. Four earned runs in four and one third. So we're catching him at a at a pretty good time. He did give us fits last year, though, if I remember correctly. Um, in one of the outings. So um, if we can just string together some hits, we're in good shape. Game two, Nick Pavetta, who has been white hot in his last four or five starts against Paul Blackburn. Uh, let me get Blackburn's game logs here. He's uh, he's having a pretty good season, actually. Um, just a... Uh, I lost it. 2.15 ERA. Um, two starts ago against Seattle, uh, five and one third. Did not uh, give up an earned run. He did get tagged uh, for four runs against the Houston Astros uh, in his most recent start, six and two thirds. But Houston's going to do that, like I said earlier. So uh, tougher matchup. Jason, how do you see that one? I will take Oakland in that one because um, I'm obviously at the point where I cannot bring myself to pick the Red Sox to sweep anybody in the league, um, not even the lowly Oakland Athletics. So you're going up against their best pitcher. Look, Nick Pavetta has looked great lately, but I do not have a ton of faith in this Red Sox offense. And Blackburn's been their best pitcher all year. And yeah, he got tagged against Houston, but Houston's got a better offense than you. I mean, Let's just flat out say it at this point. So um, I think this will be a low-scoring game, but I think it's a low-scoring game that the Red Sox will lose. I'm not too worried about it. I know Blackburn's numbers are good this year. Uh, he's a sinker ball pitcher. His velo on his fastball is only about 91-92. Doesn't get a whole lot of swings and misses. Does give up a decent amount of hard-hit balls. And, yeah, he doesn't have a lot of spin on the fastball either. So I think that they – this is, 
a guy that if they get on early, they could chase because I think it could snowball for him uh, if the lineup performs how they are capable of doing. So that's a win for the Red Sox? Yes. Yeah, win. Jason's take uh, kind of resonates with me, but uh, I will also um, take the Red Sox just because Pavetta has just been so reliable and maybe he's the best right now uh, over the last run. His ERA is uh, just under four now. So it starts with a three that you don't with the consistency issues. You don't really see that too often with him. Um, so I will also take uh, the Red Sox uh, in game two. Game three, this is on Sunday, and uh, that is a 4.07 Eastern start. Oh, Saturday's a 4.07 Eastern, so Friday's the only late game in this set. Um, Rich Hill versus Frankie Montas. Montas was a popular uh, Red Sox trade target uh, from the offseason on uh, Red Sox Twitter. He did stay in Oakland, so we will be facing him on Sunday. Jason, how do you see that one? Yeah, the Red Sox are losing two out of three this weekend because they're not going to beat Frankie Montas on Sunday. Um, Rich Hill's been getting tagged recently, and Frankie Montas' last couple of starts, he's been really good. Um, You know, held Houston in check, struck out 11 against Texas and then 12 against the Angels in the last couple of weeks. He's been throwing some filthy stuff. And again, just this offense is too inconsistent. So I don't have faith in them to really get to him. So um, Hill might keep you in it, but I think Montas is going to be just too much. And I think the Red Sox aren't going to win that one. Yeah. Montas is the kind of guy that gives the Red Sox fit. Um, You know, old friend who he, Who's you know a really good pitcher in the Red Sox farm system? Um, I I just don't see them doing anything uh, against him on Sunday. Unfortunately, have that one marked down as a loss. I'll also pick the Oakland A's to win this one. So I'll, I'll have the Red Sox winning the series uh, two to one. Uh, it's just too bad that this is the matchup that Hill has because Oakland is is a great get-right park for him. Uh, those fly balls um, could probably stay in the park, but um, not not a, uh, not a good matchup for Hill. Montas, uh, strikeout per nine. I'm surprised it's only 9.9 with uh, a couple of those games, but... but We'll see. I will say the Red Sox have gotten to some aces in the last couple of years. So if you want, if you want a sliver of hope, there's that. But all right, we will wrap on that tomorrow. Deep dives will be out, very prospect heavy. So um, you know, join us uh, on what will be your Friday morning commute and uh, good series on paper for the Red Sox. So hopefully. Hopefully this will be a series that uh, goes uh, back in the right direction uh, before we uh, face Baltimore. We had a four uh, game, uh, no, four series streak. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll get it back together. Take care.